We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always not by the owner and proprietor of Pistols Firing Blog. I am talking to <laughs> Golf Channel talent, Kyle Porter. Kyle, how's it going out there in Orlando? Carson, I am good. I am... Uh, it's been a crazy week. It's been... Uh, I, I feel like I just got rolled out on TV and they said, just don't screw it up. And, uh, no, it's, it's been fun. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm out of my world a little bit, but I've been trying to hang in and trying to keep up and, uh, it, it's been pretty cool. I've watched. It's been very cool. Uh, it's really cool to see you on, on network television. Now, how did this come about? Because you work for CBS golf Channel is NBC. How are you guys crossing uh, the streams there? Yeah, so Golf Channel is, I think, just kind of, so for people who don't know, I've been on uh, their morning show, Morning Drive, uh, which is on from 7 to 9 Eastern, uh, on, and then I, I think it gets replayed later on, but um, they have a fourth seat that's kind of open on that show, and they're kind of just rotating people in and out and um, trying people from a variety, they, they're not only bringing in people that are Golf Channel or NBC people, and got the okay from CBS and I, I think I think I don't know networks do that from time to time in terms of like crossing over putting there because we're not CBS TV and we are CBS sports.com I, I think it's that's kind of where it becomes okay yeah um, but it's been yeah it's been cool it's been a lot of fun TV is fun and fast but it's I think really hard to be good at it and so I feel like this week's given me a lot, a lot of respect for what you do and, and being really good at your job. Well, you're doing a great job. And you see why uh, all these writers do a lot of TV. It's fun. It's easy. And you don't have to research much. You can just get there and talk. <laughs> but no, you've actually brought some good research. And I have to ask, I mean, you replaced a guy named Shane Bacon, who is now a TV personality for Fox Sports. He calls the U.S. Open. He calls a lot of golf. Are you... Are you going to be calling the U.S. Open with Joe Buck this time next year? That's that's the career path, apparently. Now, Shane is absurdly talented at what he does. And, um, you know, I, I think that I think it's fun. I don't know if this is what I'll do for the rest of my life, but it's certainly been uh, a fun week to, to go on TV and to, you know, act like I know what I'm doing. Man, that red light comes on, by the way, though, and it's like, well, I guess we <laughs> got to do this. It's just it's it's so it's so intense because with. With writing, you can you can take a break or you can go get a snack. You can you can pro you can delay the inevitable. And with this, it's ju- it just comes and goes. It's it's so crazy. It's an adrenaline rush, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and the people that I've that I've been working with have been have been awesome and and couldn't have been kinder and couldn't have been more helpful. And uh, it, it's been a really cool experience. Of course, they asked me a movie question on day one, by the way. I saw that. I saw that. I was like, not oh, no. Good. Not good. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like they, I, I tweeted, like, don't they realize Kyle has three kids and has no time to watch movies? Like, what's up with this? They went right to your main weakness right off the bat. But you you passed that with flying colors. Um, it's really cool to see you on there, man. It's, I'm happy for you. And uh, it's been been a lot of fun to watch you. You had plenty to talk about, uh, especially with Ricky Fowler getting his fifth career win. I tell you, it was um, one of the wildest final rounds of golf I can ever remember. And just from, I'll, I'll give you my perspective, and then I want yours. Uh, I had a friend of mine named Tanner Grooms, who is an o- Oklahoma grad. I think that that matters. He he does not like Ricky Fowler. He thinks he, it's absurd that he's considered an elite player. It's, he thinks it's absurd. He's on all these commercials. 
So he texted me on Sunday, offered me five to one odds Ricky would not win when he had like a five shot lead. Mm. And I was like, you're on, fine. He's not going to blow this. But right after that, Ricky shanks one. He hits it onto like a cart path. And then we all know what happened later on in, on 11 when he makes a seven after the ball <laughs> rolls into the water. Uh, it's great that he won Kyle, but man, he did not put to rest any of the, the doubters on, on him as far as having a lead on Sunday to get a win. He got one, but I think most of that had to do with the guys around him all collapsing as well. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this. You know, it, it wasn't pretty, but he also did, and this is a point, I think I wrote about this earlier this week for the site. He did enough on the first three days to even put himself in that position to be able to have the margin to make a mistake. And so I I don't know. I mean, he didn't close. It was not a good close. It was a 74, but he did bounce back from the triple. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know where to land on it. Like, do we just ignore the first three days and act like the only day that matters is the last one? No. No, I, I agree with that. But I and, I and to your point, Kyle, regardless of the seven, which great putt, by the way, to make seven. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, how, how many guys can make that putt after what just happened? But the, the shot, the 250-yard iron shot onto the green on, what was that, 15? Yeah. And then, and then the drive to the green on 17. Like, those are two shots that you can say, where you can put, to all the people who doubt him, he made both of those shots under complete pressure and won the tournament with basically with those two shots to salvage his round. Yeah, no, he, he did. And I, I think I think the place where I sort of land on this is if Ricky's going into the final round with a one-stroke lead, you should not be making the five-to-one bet. You should not be making any bet. But if he's going into the final round where he's like down two or down three or he's up four or five, that that's when he's dangerous. That that's how we've seen him win. We saw it at the Players Championship. I think he was down three or four going into that final round. We saw it at the Masters last year. He was down a lot going into that final round. Nearly caught Patrick Reed, and then and then we've seen him dominate the first three days and kind of hold on for wins at the Honda Classic and uh, this year's Phoenix Open. So I think I think those are the scenarios, and that's kind of the way that he wins golf tournaments. It's not when he's got a one or two stroke lead going into the final round because he just and and not that he can't win that way. He just hasn't done it in a long time. Yeah, you're right. And I, I do think Andy Johnson on the fried egg made this point. Doesn't this look like – I, I want to go back to the situation on 11 here in a second. But doesn't it look like with what we saw through Ricky for, through the first three rounds, we haven't really seen that kind of gear out of him? Like doesn't it seem as if he might be turning a corner just from an overall first round through fourth round play? As, as much as we focus on the fourth round, like Kyle, he is – like he put on a show. And shot 64, 66, and 64, was it? I mean, yeah. don't you think he's hitting another gear here this year to where he could possibly win a major? Yeah, for sure. I just think that he's going to have to have a five-stroke lead going into the final <laughs> round to do it. But, I, yeah, to your point, like, we have seen that in first rounds. We saw it at the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills a couple years ago. We saw it, uh, I don't know, he, he's led other majors after the first round. But to do it for the first three is, I mean, that, I, I said this on, on Golf Channel on Monday. That's how Tiger used to win. Now, Tiger didn't make, Tiger didn't shoot 74s on Sunday to win, but he did used to kind of blitz the field over the first, 
you know, two out of the first three rounds or sometimes all three and then just play defense on Sunday to win. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think, I mean, look, he's finished in the top 15 in strokes gained. So kind of that's like the – it's basically the points per game of – uh, of golf, he's finished in the top fifteen in strokes gained uh, each of the last four years, and he's and he's in the top fifteen once again. The only other guys to do that are Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, and Justin Rose to do it each of the last four years. And I get, I get annoyed when we only measure golfers by wins and losses, and and we don't measure them by anything else because wins and losses can be so arbitrary. They can be. Yes, they matter, but sometimes they can be a poor determinant of who the best golfer is. And uh, so I, I think that I think it's time to start talking about him. It's not time. We we should be talking about him differently than we are. And uh, but I, I know the reality that that probably won't be the case until he wins a major championship. That's that's where I land on it. And look, I'm so torn on on Ricky. I totally agree with my friend Tanner, who who could see that struggle coming from a mile away. I mean. He hit a dead cold shank on a I Sunday. Know. I mean, I that, 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 there's no other way to slice it. He struggles with Sunday pressure when he's in the lead. But I also agree with you in that he is, by every metric other than wins, he is an absolutely elite player. I mean, Kyle, I don't know if you have the stats in front of you, but over the last 10 years, who has more top 20s and majors than him? Top 15s even, top 10s. If you As high as you want to go, I think he would be right up there one or two. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you have those, but he has got to be up there. And how else do you judge a golfer other than the majors? I mean, that he hasn't won one yet, but who's competed for more than him? I, I think that list is very short. But I do understand, and we saw it, everyone saw it on Sunday, that he, he struggled. With, I mentioned the shank off the cart path. He somehow made par off the cart path. <laughs> But but over, other than just a few holes, Kyle, he played pretty well. I mean, he was no one played well because the conditions were so tough. But he he wasn't just falling apart on every hole. But we we got to talk about eleven, Kyle. I mean, he I don't even necessarily blame him for hitting it in the water on the first time. It hit like a a pool of water and like hydroplaned all the way across the, all the way across the green. It somehow like. You know, like uh, skateboarders when they go up like the the ramp, it kind of like ramped around the the bunker somehow, and somehow went in the water. And then he takes his drop, and as he's observing the green, the ball just moves on its own and falls back into the water. Now, he was penalized a stroke for that, Kyle. How in the world is that a penalty? I I still am not totally sure. Because the the rule is that if if your ball gets moved by I can't remember the phrasing, natural causes or something like there's an earthquake or, in his case, rain. I mean, it was pretty clear that uh, that rain was hitting his ball and caused it to move. And and as I understand it, the rule is that if that happens, you get a you get to do, you get to play you get to replace it. Now, maybe it matters that it went in the water and he couldn't get to his ball, like he literally couldn't get it. Uh, I, but I I still am not totally sure why he was penalized a stroke there. Well, nobody did because the the announcers didn't know what he made. Uh, it didn't look like Ricky knew what he made. Um, and I tell you, Kyle, if I'm Ricky and I make the putt on 18, like I still am like in the back of my mind going, did I really make seven there? Or are they going to come back later and say I made like eight or nine and I have to go to a playoff? Because like yeah. I don't think anybody was totally sure what he made. It's like the it's like the Dustin Johnson from the 2016 U.S. Open. Exactly. Like I. Nobody really mentioned that, but I was thinking it. I was like, well, I hope that was a seven and not a nine or an eight. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I guess 80 st- still would have won, right? I mean, he won by two shots, but but man, that was insane. But again, I think the way, and then 
Kyle just, as well as he played, I mentioned the two excellent shots he had down the stretch. 16, he, he almost hits a bunker. I didn't see one golfer hit the bunker all day on 16. Uh, and then he hits it into the he pulls driver and hits it into the church pews on 18. It was a it was a shaky of a win. It's a shaky as of a win we ever seen in golf. I mean, Justin Ray had the stats to back it up. He shot what 74, the highest round total to to win a, a tournament. So it was it was shaky. But how do you how do you think this? And I, I do think the narratives got a little out of control afterwards, Kyle, on the broadcast. Like, oh, Ricky triumphed. Now he's over the hill. He's over that hump. I'm not going that far, but do you think he can use this as anything going forward, or is it just kind of a, a circus that he looks and just tries to move on past? I, I think the latter more than anything. I, I think I think the part that he can use going forward, and I think this is the direction that he's been trending, is is the first three rounds, right? I mean, it was like you said, it was it was dominant, and it, it, this is not this isn't the John Deere. It's a good field. Justin Thomas is in the field. John Rahm's in the field. Uh, your boy Matthew Wolf's in the field. Phil Mickelson's in the field. It, it, it's a really quality field, and he just blitzed everybody the first three days. And I, I think that's the part that, again, like I, I think the way he wins a major is either how he almost did it last year, where he comes from like five or six deep and shoots a sixty-five on a Sunday, or by just thoroughly dominate every, everybody on the first three days though I will say if how, how worried are you about him if he takes like a four-stroke lead into the final round at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open this year oh I'm I'm worried until he wins a major I mean <laughs> he could have a he could have a Kyle because he could have a, like literally a six or seven shot lead we've seen we saw Ricky in the major what major was it last year the British we made an eight I mean, he he yeah. is capable of putting up a, a snowman at any yeah, it, on it, any hole. <laughs> it was the British. Uh, what would what would you? How would you have played the rest of the way after uh, making a seven on number eleven? After like if if your ball had rolled into the water like that, how would you have reacted? Well, I would have thrown. What was it Skipper Johnson? What's that guy's name? The rules guy, Slugger. Slugger White. Slugger White. First of all, why is a grown man going by Slugger? I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> It did. It was whatever. I don't know if it was Ricky, but whoever said thanks, Slugger, it sounded like they were like piecing out of the office. Like, see you later, (laughs) Chief. See you, Slugger. (laughs) Well, I would have thrown Slugger into the water, and I I would not have. I would have sat down on that hill and not moved until they said it's not a penalty. Said I'm not moving from this spot until you tell me it's not a penalty. Take your shirt off like Gundy should have. Yeah, just take my shirt off and lay down like Gundy should have against (laughs) Central Michigan. I, I, Kyle, I wouldn't have gotten to that point after that. After that dead cold shank, I wouldn't have been able to hit the ball after that. So it's it's remarkable he was able to recover from that. But the the bounce back was it really was impressive. It it was pretty cool. Well, and he he plays so well there. But um, I I'm like you. I don't think this is something that is like a breakthrough moment. I just for me, it's more like as you mentioned. I think it's more about Ricky's play. Like overall, I think this new driver that he has. The new the new Cobra driver he is he's never been like the longest on tour by any means but he hasn't been short either but he he is opening up a whole new level of his game with it with off the tee with yeah, his driver he's, he's hitting it far and he's such a good putter that it, if yeah he, he's I mean he's a great player man to finish in the top fifteen in strokes gain each of the last four years that's so impressive I think we just we just underrate how hard that is to do and how few guys do it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there's a scenario in which, you know, maybe the, the lion's share of his wins come at the end of his career 
We've seen Brooks Kepka win three majors early on. Brooks Kepka's numbers are not as good as Ricky Fowler's. They're just not. I mean, I, I don't. That's not an opinion. It's just factual. Like his strokes gained, his his putting is just not as good. And so, I think that you know, it, it just so much of winning uh, tournaments and especially majors is just so arbitrary. It, it's playing well in in the right week i mean ricky's been as many or more majors legitimately on a sunday as as rory and rory's got four of them and ricky's got none and that's just now part of that is closing i get it like part of that is is what you do on sunday what you do on sunday matters what you do on the back nine on sunday matters a lot but again he he's lost to some pretty historical wins and winners over the course of his career. And, and maybe that sort of self-corrects in, in the latter part of it. Well, I'm looking at the master's odds. Only seven golfers have better odds than him. Um, Justin Thomas, Kepka, Tiger, Rory, Rose, Spieth, Johnson. So Where's he should Bryson? be right up there. Bryson's right behind him. Bryson's going to win the masters. You think so? Yeah, it's, it's a done deal. It's a wrap. Well, that's, that's kind of the, for all the Ricky detractors, they can point and say DeChambeau has more wins than Ricky. Or I guess they're tied now. Yeah, it's and not. DeChambeau's been a great. pro for two years, three years. It's, it's not great. Ricky's played in 220 events, and, and Bryson's played in like 70. Yeah, I mean, you got to win more. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But but uh, yeah, nowadays, to win, Kyle, you got to shoot like 2,200 to win a golf tournament. It's crazy. It's so crazy. You want to talk about Matthew Wolf? Yeah, one last note, though. I, I thought at one point on 11 or after 11 that Ricky was never going to wear orange again just because that was like <laughs> that was like squinky reincarnated on the golf course. I mean, who, we've never seen that where the ball just drops into the water and you get penalized for it. Oh, I thought he, I thought he was going to not wear orange again. Maybe, maybe squinky blue on it like Lance Stevenson and LeBron yeah. on it a couple of years ago. I think so. Let's talk Wolf. He shoots a 67 in the first round, was the talk of the entire tournament. I mean yeah. – Blew me away. Uh, I had pretty high expectations, too, but I did not see 67 coming. <laughs> and thought he was going to turn pro at the end of the week. I thought he was going to win the tournament and just turn pro and take the check. I was, ask, <laughs> I was asking you if that's actually possible, if he can do that, but you informed me that he can't do that. But I did I did send a tweet to Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg. I listen to their podcast a lot, the, uh, the Shotgun Start. And you can listen to the First Cut podcast with Kyle Porter and, oh, and Chip Patterson on, on CBSSports.com. But... Um, I tweeted Andy Johnson and said, "Is Matthew Wolf a top fifty player in the world right now? Yeah, he with, is. with with his driving and his putting. I mean, he Kyle, he is already one of the longest on tour whenever whenever he joins. Yeah, uh, he's a freak. and he put, he lights he's lights out putting. But that's before we even talk about everything else with his game. Yeah, he he's unbelievable. And and I think that you know I read a golf week article after uh, the the tournament ended on Sunday, and and this was one of my take. I can't remember who wrote it, but one of my takeaways was that sort of his plan this summer is to, so he's going to finish out at Oklahoma State. He's going to try to qualify for the U.S. Open as an amateur. And then uh, if, if he does that, turn pro right after that. So I guess mm. if, he, if he doesn't qualify as an amateur, he'll turn pro before the U.S. Open. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think, I think something like that just gives him confidence. I mean, he makes the cut. He finishes T50 whatever like you you're making the cut at that in that field uh, at that level that's that's legit i mean that that's really impressive and i think it gives i think i think it probably just gives him a ton of confidence not only for the rest of osu's season in which they're going to try to go back to back but for his future as as a pro on the pga tour i mean he is i was just talking to my dad he's a top 20 guy he's he might be a top 10 player in the world 
that kind of talent. And I think that, you know, you saw glimpses of that at the Phoenix Open over the weekend. I think he could be number one in the world at some point. <laughs> Is that a hot take? No, again, that the number he's one. He's perfectly but, suited for the tour. I mean, he's so long and he can putt. That That is birdie machine. But the number one thing is arbitrary, right? Because, like, we would all say that Phil Mickelson is a number one type player in the world, but he never reached number one. And so it just, it matters. Oh, when, really? It ma- yeah. It matters when oh. you win. It matters. How, it, it's, like, you can control being a top ten player. It's sometimes hard to control being the number one player. Well, how about this? Uh, Jonathan Wall, who covers like the equipment side of things, he thinks Matthew Wolf is going to get like a truckload of money for an equipment deal. So I think we could see a, a, a situation exactly like Ricky Fowler, where Ricky, it didn't take him long at all, the second he turned pro, to be the face of Puma, to be a kind of a, almost a, not necessarily a household name right away, but a guy on tour that you recognize and know. And I think Wolf is well on his way there with, with his performance so far. Yeah, uh, so last year, Norman Norman Zhang, uh, basically the number one, I don't, I don't know what you would call him. He was the best guy coming out last year out of college, and he played at Oregon, and he got a ton of money. I mean, he got millions from, he's with Callaway, I don't know who else he signed with, but he got a, he got a lot of money, and, you know, he, he's marketable in different ways than I think Wolf would, would be, just because of his background. Um, but I think Wolf is super marketable. I mean, that's the thing when you talk to people in golf that are like, okay, yeah, his game's there, but be around him for five minutes. He's, he's electric. He's got, he's got some Rory to him in terms of just the way he interacts, the way he talks, the way he views things that I think that's the part that your Callaways and your Nikes and your, you know, different companies like that are getting excited about. And you've brought up a good point that he's uh, the number two golfer at Oklahoma State. He's the number that well, <laughs> you 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 stole my uh, you stole my one interesting thing from this week. But he is not even the top ranked player on his own team, which is just it's an embarrassment <laughs> of it's an embarrassment of riches. It's it's really unbelievable. Well, you've in recent podcasts have referenced the 2011 golf team with Morgan Hoffman, Kevin Tway, yeah. Peter Uline, all those pros. I think this year's team could approach that level on, on the tour. You got obviously Victor Hovland, who's going to play at the Masters, Matthew Wolf, um, Austin Eckroat. I mean, all those guys should be on the on the tour. Hayden, Hayden Wood. Hayden Wood won the OGA last year and didn't won, didn't even start. That's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 absurd. Victor, yeah, Victor Hovland's going to play U.S. Open and the Masters. It's uh, they should go back to back. They get started this week in Hawaii. I think that's their first tournament of the spring. So uh, it should be fun. Apparently, this is an all-golf Oklahoma State podcast today. I love it. Hey, I'm, I'm all in. This is, this is my wheelhouse. You want to talk a little bit of football before we get to our sponsor? Sure. Okay. Uh, Casey Dunn potentially to Oregon. This was a report that came out. Uh, I forgot where it came from, but I saw it. And your thoughts? Well, isn't this what kind of what I referenced? What happened if yeah. if he didn't get the offense coordinator job? I mean, I I saw this coming. I mean, yeah. I I don't I don't know if he's going to leave for Oregon, but the fact that his name's out there tells you that he might be looking to leave. Yeah, uh, I'd hate to see it, but I think also it would be understandable. To me, it's it's very similar to the the Gunter Brewer situation at Oklahoma State. He was a really good receivers coach, recruited very well, 
recruited Des Bryant, Adarius Bowman, those those guys, and was passed over for the offense coordinator job, so he left. And you can't fault guys for that. I think Casey Dunn had some quotes in the Oklahoman, a story by Jenny Carlson, saying that he wanted to be a head coach. And to be a head coach, you got to be offense coordinator. Or, very rarely do receivers coaches get hired other than Dabo Swinney. <laughs> but uh, I, I would hate to see him go, but I would certainly understand it. Yeah, so this was from the Oregonian. Uh, Oklahoma State's Casey Dunn, Texas Tech's Javon Boaknight, and Florida International's Aubrey Hill are among a group of candidates to be Oregon's new wide receivers coach. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Um Man, this is man. This is not. This is the hard part. If you're Gundy, is when you have success, especially on offense, guys either get offensive coordinator positions elsewhere, or they get even better jobs, even higher paying jobs than they have currently elsewhere. And it's just you know, I know Gundy loves continuity, but it's tough to keep talent for like you said. I mean, it was a great call by you. It's tough to keep talent for a long time. Especially when you're, I mean, you can't tell me that Casey Dunn's not frustrated by the fact that they bring in a 34-year-old offensive coordinator when he's, whatever, 48 or 50 or whatever he is. Like, you can't tell me he's not frustrated by that. He, he has to be. And so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know that I blame him for potentially being in this position. No, I don't either. Um, what kind of golf course does Oregon have? Like, that's going to be the ultimate deciding factor, I think. Didn't, didn't they play the NCAAs on their home course a couple of years ago? I think yeah. they did. They did, yeah. Yeah. Did so, they win it on their home course? I'm pretty sure they did, yeah. So he, he's, he could be set up there as well. So Oregon took Wyndham Clark, and they're going to take Casey Dunn? They took Marcus Arroyo, too. Oh, they took Arroyo! Yeah. No, no I mean, um, I don't... I don't know if he would leave, but um, I think it's pretty telling that, that he's being linked. And yeah. I'm interested to see what kind of relationship Gleason comes in and, and has with these guys because, you know, he is an outsider. Uh, Yursic obviously found out his way, but it took him a few years to get totally comfortable, it seems. But uh, that's something to monitor for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, let's get to this week's Oklahoma State schedule brought to you by Chris's University Spirit. Your one-stop Cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Carson, uh, we got a full week. we got men's basketball at TCU on Wednesday, women's basketball Bedlam at home on Wednesday. So that's uh, two, two basketball games Wednesday night. Uh, men's golf is in Hawaii, like I said, Thursday through Saturday, I believe. I think that's a three-day tournament. Wrestling against Air Force in Gallagher on Friday. And we got women's basketball at Tech on Saturday and men's basketball uh, goes to Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. Some somebody that uh, you know, probably just another win for Mike Boynton against against Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks. Well, Bill likes to lose to OSU. We know that, so <laughs> maybe he'll do them another solid. But unfortunately, this year he can't lose to OSU and still win the Big Twelve. So I would expect that to be pretty ugly. They're down to what, like six scholarship players now. Yeah, they brought on a, a walk-on football player to be a walk-on basketball player as well. Seems like if you're a double walk-on, you should get like some kind of scholarship. <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. it? No kidding. Yeah, I mean, uh, pulling double duty there. Pay, pay for his books, something. <laughs> Scantrons, anything. Yeah, um, I'm just I'm so like 
it's going to be a long year for Mike Boyd. It already has, but like, what, what can he even say at this point after games? It's like, yeah, I, I got six. I got six dudes. That should be his his opening and statement and last statement. I got six yeah, dudes. Yeah, it's tough, and and I think part of me wonders if I don't think that he. I think that he would have kicked those guys off the team regardless, but in some ways it it buys you some some time, and and this is something we've talked about with Gundy. Like, you can kind of point to like, well, look, I kicked guys off that I didn't recruit. We're still kind of cleaning things up. I I don't know. It, it's uh, to be honest, I'm ready for the season to be over. <laughs> yeah, I think I think everybody is, including Mike Boynton. So, yeah. so um. Okay, let's hear it one more time from our sponsor, Christie's University Spirit, and then we'll come back and wrap things up with one interesting thing for the week. Christie's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, what do you have for me for your most uh, interesting thing of the last week? If you don't, if you don't have one yet, I've, I'm ready to roll. Uh, go ahead. Okay, uh, mine was going to be that Victor Ho- or that Matthew Wolf is not even the top ranked player on his own college team, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but uh, we already talked about that, so I'm going to go with uh, just how much fun I had in Oklahoma City on Friday. We had a PFB uh, get together, had dinner, got to go to Top Golf. I know you were only able to make it the di- to the dinner because you were actually doing your job, but just <laughs> had a, just had a blast seeing everybody. You know, I, I talked to. I talked to my wife afterwards, and um, she's like, man, I had a lot of fun. I don't think she said man, but she said, Kyle, I had a lot of fun. It was fun to meet everybody. It was fun to meet everybody's wives and girlfriends, and it, it was just uh, – it was really cool. And we had a blast at Top Golf. I killed everybody, uh, which was fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people were talking trash. And I don't know. It was just a great time, very galvanizing, and – you know, I think very humanizing when we're all just kind of communicating digitally throughout the weeks and months to, to be able to get together and have fun like that. Yeah, very well said. I appreciate you uh, having us all out. It's it's very cool slash jarring to see how many people you have working for you. I mean that that <laughs> table was that table was rather large. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty cool to see honestly what the the blog has turned into and and how you've built it and it's a testament to how sharp of a guy you are that um, you could just start a blog. Basically you just had a domain and you turned it into an actual business. So it's pretty, it's a testament to you and, and your hard work. So I, I hope you're as, as proud of it as I am uh, of you, I guess. I don't mean to sound like your father, but no, I, I it's I cool. It's cool it. to see what it's become and it's cool to see what you're, you're doing in your golf career as well. So I appreciate that, man. It's pretty cool. Uh, my one interesting thing is of one of your least favorite players to ever wear an Oklahoma State uniform. Can you guess who that is? Probably Marcus Smart. That would be him. Yes. <laughs> uh, I was working this weekend. We had a post game show on Channel Five, and there was it was the Celtics against the Thunder. Marcus Smart hit four threes. He shot forty three percent from three in the month of January. He's a career thirty percent three point shooter. So he has really found something with his three point shooting and. 
I watch a lot of NBA, Kyle, and if Marcus Smart can hit 40% of his threes, he's close to like a max player when you consider how good he is on defense and all the other things he does on a basketball court. So I think Marcus Smart, kind of like Buddy Heal at OU, is kind of making a, a little bit of a leap this year, and it's, it's cool to see for an OSU guy. And he, he was the biggest reason I think the Celtics, other than Kyrie Irving, he's the biggest reason the Celtics beat the Thunder. What's he shooting from three overall this year? Um, I, just, I just pulled it up. He's shooting 37%, which would be by far a career high. Uh, yeah. He's he's only shooting – oh, no, he's shooting about the same amount. He's shooting 4.2 threes per game, which is right at his career average. So I agree with you. If he's anywhere around 40% with the way he does everything else, I don't know if he's a max player. I mean, what what's the – he's only averaging eight points a game. Is that a – is that a – Yeah, that might be – that might be a little much. But, but Max point, players are like Kyrie Irving. But. To your point, it, he, he provides – I mean, there's so much more value there. I mean, it, the, the league is such a – I mean, it's it's so uh, three-point heavy that if you can't do that, your, your value – I mean, that's almost like a baseline, right? It's just to be good at shooting threes. Well, and there's not many guys that shoot over 40% in the entire league. Yeah. And everyone everyone wants guys who can play defense and shoot – and if he shoots over 40% and plays that defense, yeah, he's one of the best two-way players in the NBA. For sure. Yeah, he's but, averaging uh, 8.2 points, 2.8 rebounds, four assists, two steals, and half a block. Yeah. he's it's incredible. It's good for him. He's having yeah. a stellar career so far. For sure. Um, he might be the Celtics' starting point guard soon. If Kyrie bounces, yeah. Yeah, beats out Kyrie. Um, okay, that was good. That was that was a fun one. Carson, you got anything else before we go? Uh, Tom Brady, the GOAT, uh, collects oh. the sixth ring. Um, it was not a pretty game. No. Uh, I picked the Rams. I just thought it, it looked a lot like those giant Super Bowls where their defensive line would get after them, and they did. But uh, just what a throw to Gronk to basically win the game. Uh, Tom Brady. It's just so you – know, you love when a take is right because a lot of them are usually wrong. <laughs> when you get a take so right, it just makes you makes you happy. Because I used to argue with people so much about Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady, who's the best, and it's no longer a debate. He's the only NFL player to have six rings. Yeah, it's, it's not an argument. I was thinking about this, Carson. What kind of odds do you think you could have gotten on Ricky Fowler's uh, score on number 11 being higher than total points through the third quarter of the Super Bowl? <laughs> You could have uh, retired on those odds. More than five to one, probably. <laughs> yeah, um, the total yardage for the Rams was like less than his final round score, too. <laughs> I don't know if that's bad for him or bad for the Rams, but it's bad for everybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, Brady. Brady is the best ever. And uh, I, how long can this go on? I mean, I don't know. Were they even good this year? And and they, I mean, they're uh, obviously, but. I, I just feel like he just is so like he just makes magic. I mean, it, it like doesn't even matter what else they do. He's he's so good. Mm-hmm. And Belichick too. I mean, to do what they did defensively to the Rams was was stunning. So yeah, it really was. So okay, Carson, uh, I am gonna go take a nap or something because I've been up a while. But uh, yeah, good show. So, sounds good. We'll talk again. I'll be back in the shed next week. All right, we'll watch you uh, the rest of the week on Morning Drive, and uh, we'll get back to back to you next week. Okay, talk soon.